0: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb.
0: And I'm Julie Douglas.
1: And Julie, I don't have the best memory in the world. Um, I mean, maybe it's an average memory. I'm not saying I'm, I have problems with my brain or anything. But, uh, I often forget that. I think everybody has this where you, the, the really boring stuff you need to remember sometimes, uh, you don't remember. I can have a simple list to go to the grocery with, and if I don't have it written like in the notes section of my iPhone, then I'm not going to remember everything. Even if it's something vital, like some the thing that I need to eat that night, an important component in the in the the meal, I still will forget to pick it up.
0: I'm sorry. What what were you just saying?
1: <sighs> no, that's just. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah. you know I have a horrible memory. I actually, I read something, uh, in our research that compared memory to a Wikipedia entry. Really? Yeah, and they were saying it's like it's, your memory is constantly being altered and augmented and then sometimes pared away.
1: Yeah, and sometimes the stuff that it's being, uh, updated with is completely, uh, not true.
0: It's horse manure sometimes, yeah. turns out. Yeah. And, and, uh, that's not necessarily what we're gonna talk about today, but you had actually talked to me about that before and I thought it was fascinating weren 't you saying that when you have a memory each time you bring it up you 're revising it in some way
1: oh yeah yeah um, we'll, we'll we'll definitely have to cover that in, in an upcoming uh, yeah. episode uh, in more detail, but yeah, every time you you bring up a, a memory you 're not just removing it pristine from the vault and then returning it pristine to the, to the vault, uh, but you 're updating it each time because your brain needs updated information right uh, because we live in a world uh, as as we discussed in our math podcast, we live in a world and we have to navigate a world of multiple movable objects and symbols. So we have to be able to fly with that.
0: Yep, and yeah. then hence the horse manure sometimes, right? right?
1: Right. So people have had horrible memories for as long as we've had to remember things because uh, just as math, as we discussed in the math podcast, we develop mathematics to do the things that we're not naturally inclined to be able to do with our normal mental faculties. Right. We have to develop systems.
0: But what to do if you're in the Roman Empire, for, for instance, just hanging out? And you don't necessarily have a ton of books around you or your, uh, your iPhone there.
1: Yep. Well, in this case, you turn to something called the Memory Palace, uh, also known as the Method of, uh, Loki, right? That's right. Yep. And, uh, the, uh, the origins of this go back to a, a particular, uh, gr- uh, back to the 5th century BC and a Greek poet by the name of Simonides of Sios. And, uh, he was attending a party, you know in the dining hall, having fun uh around a table with a bunch uh a bunch of buddies and he uh walked out for a few minutes, and the whole entire place collapsed behind him. oh, he walked yeah. out,
0: I wondered how he survived okay
1: yeah i I maybe went out for smoke or something I don't sure remember. yeah but uh but he went outside uh and everything collapsed. he survives everybody else is just crushed to to just mush just a smucker's jam yeah there's n- no identifying these people, but he was smucker's this he, yeah. With a name like Smucker's, um, so he goes back in. No, oh, he doesn't go back in. But uh, they they dig everything up again. Smucker's jam everywhere, and they're like, "All right, who were each of these uh, people?" And he's he says, "Well, let me think about it," and he's able to identify each puddle uh, as as uh, he's able grape to grape
0: concord. Yeah, that was yeah. He's, he's able
1: to identify them based on their seating position at the table. Mm-hmm. He's able to remember where they were spatially okay and and therefore remember who they were and identify these remains
0: and this was a big moment for him right yeah
1: because then he realized hey uh i could apply this to other things in my life if i have a list i need to remember if there's a long list of facts i need to get down this is how i could do it and uh and and so this survived for ages uh you know well you know for centuries and centuries and on up uh, through today Mm -hmm. um one, uh, big proponent of this was, uh, uh, Dominican monk, uh, Giordano uh, Bruno, who, um, was actually, he was burned at the stake in, uh, Yikes. 1600, uh, for heresy, but it wasn't the memory, uh, palace method that, uh, that got him there, though I think some people found it kind of creepy, but, uh, his whole thing had to do with, uh, he believed that god was present in nature and that the universe and life was infinite therefore that you know there might be aliens or something and uh and so so uh, that got
0: him into the hot water
1: yeah the roman catholic church wasn't big on that at the time though today they have a statue where he uh, where he was burned and uh and he's more revered these days
0: Well, that's nice yeah. <clears throat> you know at least later on
1: yeah yeah so the the basically the the idea here uh if you want to look at like just sort of a simple version is you take these mundane facts mm mm-hmm. And you position them in a spatial framework. Okay. I'm with you. And you make them interesting. All right. right.
0: So the the idea of the memory palace is to create a mental house. Right. In which to house and organize symbolic images, Mm -hmm. which then could serve as a cue for information retrieval, right?
1: Right. Like, for instance, uh, our good friend um, um, Simonides uh, here could easily populate this this banquet table with... uh, Um, you know, a list of addresses he needs to remember. If he can come up with a unique way uh, to remember each one and then remember them in order based on where they are at the table.
0: Okay. And um, just a little side fact to Thomas Harris's novel, uh, Hannibal, actually Hannibal Lecter uses memory palaces for his patient's records.
1: Oh, does he? Yeah, he does. I've I've forgotten about that. I I read that uh, ages ago.
0: Yeah, and even includes music, too, for the rooms that he's going into.
1: Oh, wow. Well, hey, if it's good enough for Hannibal Lecter... You know, it's it's good enough for me, which is why I actually tried this out yesterday. Okay. Uh, and and I'm going to to repeat everything that I uh, imagined the way I built and populated my memory palace so that I could remember a list of five things to get from the grocery store on the way home.
0: Okay. You didn't write a thing down.
1: No, did not write a thing down. He didn't put anything in my in my phone. And uh, and so these were the things. Just it was uh, soy creamer, Ingelhoffer's uh, mustard. Ant traps, frozen fruit, and toilet paper. So, um, you know, just just a standard run for me.
0: Um, All right, what, what does your mem- memory palace look like? Okay, walk us through it. So,
1: I decided to, for the space, I decided to use the space that I am occupying right now—the How Stuff Works podcast room slash podcast chamber. Okay. Okay. So, this is the way I pictured it. All right, over here behind you is our sound booth, mm-hmm. and inside it, I pictured a robot cow drinking coffee. For my soy milk. Okay. All right. And then seated where you are, you're mm-hmm. you're not here, but instead there's a large German man uh in in a Lederhosen <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, with big uh, mustache going on, mm-hmm. and he's got big clumps of of uh, of spicy hot mustard in his mustache. Mm. And that's the the Ingelhofer's mustache, because it has a little German man on the lid. Yeah. Uh then in this seat uh between us, because the table that we record at has a third chair that is never occupied by an actual person. Um but in, in my memory palace, it is occupied by a large pile, like a, a human sized pile of frozen fruit, and it's just gleaming in the light, smelting a little bit, smelling sweet, and, uh, and you know, I can see strawberry and mango and all, and, 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 cause this is an important part of the memory palace, to add some details to it, you know? You're not just thinking the word, um, you know, you're not just thinking the word frozen fruit, you're picturing it right uh, it, it is existing in space and so not just a concept okay all right and then if I were to poke my head out through these curtains where Jerry is setting uh, our producer, I would see a giant ant and uh, that ant is dressed uh, in Maria von Trapp's dress from the sound of music because I need to remember ant traps. Wow. Yeah, and then the fifth item, uh, standing at the green screen behind Jerry's seat, uh-huh. uh, there is a m- toilet paper mummy going through a number of sexy poses for the camera.
0: They're sexy poses. Yeah. All right.
1: Yeah. So, I, and I. So anyway, it worked. I was able to remember. I know only five things. It's kind of puny, but I was able to remember these five things. Now you can also say that while I was doing this for the podcast, I was applying more thought to this than I would normally apply to the list that I, of things I need to pick up. Uh, and it's also worth noting that even though this is an abbreviated version, mm-hmm. one can use, uh, use people use this for hundreds of items.
0: Right, and in fact, in in each room you could have I don't know five, ten different items mm-hmm. that are living there. It's just a, a matter of placing the object, right? Yeah.
1: Well, how about you? Do you have a memory palace uh, you've constructed? I for do, us?
0: and I'm not going to actually share it because um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's. A, I'll share one on my okay. on my list, and uh, basically I need to mail my FSA reimbursement, right? Okay. Flexible spending account. So at my front door, I just uh, pictured angry cherubs with wings made out of dollar bills greeting me at the front door with a pile of mail oh well that's good right like you know they're angry because they're like you don't send the stuff in my wings are going to fall off or whatever i don't know but i do have other rooms Um, but just for brevity's sake i won't i won't tell but what i love about this is that it quickly becomes very similar to the surrealism that i don't know about you but for me that i experience in my dreams yeah, yeah. Right? Like all of a sudden there's these incongruent things going on and they're, they're wild and they're fantastic and that's I think why we remember our dreams sometimes, right? Because they're so extraordinary. Yeah, we to were. To us at least.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, we were, we were talking about, about this, how we take something mundane and we turn it into something crazy and memorable. Mm-hmm. In the same way that on, uh, this trip from New York, uh, we we both just uh, came back from attending the World Science Festival in New York City.
0: Woot, woot, by the way. Yeah,
1: 2011. It's going to be back in 2012. Highly recommend anybody who's big into science and lives in New York to give it a go. Mm-hmm. And then that's actually where I attended a, 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 a pan I, I was in the audience for a panel on memory, and mm-hmm. that's where I got really excited about the concept of the, the Memory Palace. But... Uh, while I was waiting to go uh, into one of these events, uh, my wife and I were uh, were waiting out in this little courtyard area, and uh, we saw this man walk up uh, with a box, like a cardboard box under his arm that said Trout on the side, like I, I don't know, like a beer cart, like a box that like beer would come in or something. Right. But it just said Trout. I don't know what the brand was, but anyway, he uh, he's standing there, he puts his box down on the ground, and he gets a handful of uh, of uh, like uh, uh, bread or crackers out, and he starts feeding the pigeons which I, I don't think is technically illegal, but he's doing it anyway. So he's feeding the pigeons. Three of them land there, and they're just standing there eating. And then slowly he starts raising his hand up, moving his hand forward, and then he reaches down, snatches one of the pigeons, stuffs it into the cardboard box, and then walks off with the cardboard box full of a pigeon.
0: And so you told me that, and I don't think I'll ever be able to look at a pigeon without thinking <laughs> of that poor pigeon's fate. Yeah. Or, or or wondering, again, why the side of the... the uh the cooler said trout.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that it's, yeah, I, I have no idea what what he was doing with it, what the purpose was, if he was an official pigeon catcher, if he was going to eat it for dinner, uh, you know, who knows? But it was memorable because it was so weird. Yeah. And uh, so the memory palace is, is is kind of like, let's make the, the mundane fact, let's make the soy creamer that I will inevitably forget. Let's make that into something memorable so that I can't forget it, at least for a short term. Right. Right. Um, and then... You can, you can use this, this, uh, this memory palace, and you can populate it with hundreds of items. So it's, you, can, you can remember a list in order of hundreds of, of items.
0: And that's what mental athletes do. They're called mental athletes, yeah. and we'll get to them in a bit. Um, yeah, after
1: this quick break. Yeah. This presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of Tomorrow. And we're back. Do you remember what we were talking about, everyone? Memory Palace.
0: Something about robotic cows? No,
1: yeah, yeah, well, that. That was part of it. That was how we remembered the, the soy pyramid.
0: Yeah. Well, let's just walk through this really quickly, just like sort of four easy steps on how you can create your own memory palace. Okay. Um, so we've already talked about it, the first step, which is create a physical location that you can clearly visualize. It's, right. And, need a,
1: and th- that's why I went with the podcast chamber for me, because I see it all the time. I'm very familiar with the with the locations, and I can, it can imagine it instantly.
0: Right. And you can make up your own palace, you know, just yeah. as long as you can... Um get a clear beat on on the detail of it. Like
1: might I recommend like maybe the command deck from one of uh, the Star Trek shows? That would be a
0: good there you go. Know. That's a good example. Um and step two is to establish a memory route through the location, right. right? So if you're gonna use, say your childhood home, then you want to go through the front door and you know pick a route that say you go left to the kitchen and then down the hallway or so on and so forth. Um, you want to keep that same route all the time. Am I right about that? Yes, okay.
1: Yeah, uh, Joshua Four, who, um uh, wrote a book about all this called, uh, Moonwalking with Einstein, he, uh, actually did a short video for, uh, the World Science Festival, and, uh, and it was shown during this, uh, memory panel that I attended, and, uh, and he, he was, he actually did it in a garden, like in a, like a, well, it wasn't really a garden, it was more like a garden area of a park or something, mm-hmm. and he was, he actually, you know, he's like, alright, uh, here is going to be, and it was something crazy, like you know Einstein moonwalking. That's the title. Yeah, and then he walked through it, and he was able to do like a list of one hundred and ten things.
0: Yeah, and as he's walking through it, he's placing the objects. So this is really important. Yeah. So once you're you establish your route, you want to put your objects that you want to remember, your things or your concepts that you want to remember in that room. And you, the reason why you want to do this is because it becomes what's called a memory peg. Okay, Okay. so that's important for step three, is you need to now peg the memory to the object. So that's when you start to think about these really bizarre associations, right? The more bizarre, the better. Mm -hmm. If you want to remember to pick up bananas, then you can visualize your front door as a banana daiquiri portal with Carmen Miranda (laughs) greeting you or something along those lines.
1: It helps if you're kind of silly, I think.
0: Silliness, definitely, yeah. And you can add a song or a scent to the memory, especially if you're Hannibal Lecter, right? And then step four is just to repeat the visualization until you've cemented the the objects to the memories. You've really pegged those memories. Yeah. right. So it's it's a fairly simple process. So we should probably talk about the research part of this, which is pretty cool, uh, and and actually talk about these mental athletes. So
1: there are many types of memory. We don't just have memory in, in the human brain we have uh j- just to give you a brief idea we have sensory memory we have short term long term explicit implicit procedural declarative episodic semantic and uh and we also have uh, spatial memory and uh the spatial context is extremely important like it because again at a at a very basic level we are navigating a world a physical world of movable numerous Objects and symbols.
0: That's right. Now I've talked about this before. That when you walk into a room, that ninety nine percent of what you're perceiving isn't necessarily coming through your eyes. It's coming from the associations that your brain is making spatially. Right. So you're whether or not you realize it, you're you're judging the height of the ceiling or the doors and so on and so forth.
1: Yeah. I mean, if, and if you look back in our evolutionary history, you know, there's a time where you need to remember the field where you, you know, killed a monkey that you're going to eat or something mm-hmm. of that nature. Um, uh, you know, where does it lay in the field? Has it moved? Um, so. Every, we end up having this spatial scaffolding upon which we make sense of our entire lives. Just think of a calendar, or think of a timeline. Mm-hmm. Like these are these are spatial scaffolding systems that we use to understand. What's going on in the world around us? Yeah,
0: and I especially like the the evolutionary example because <clears throat> if you in – and in why you would need the spatial memories. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, again, think about like trying to find food sources and mapping that out in your brain. Yeah. Or trying to figure out where that den of lions are. Yeah. And how best to avoid them.
1: Yeah, so it, you, it's really important to stress here that the memory palace – is not a trick. It's not really a trick. Mm-hmm. It's not something. Uh, and when you have uh, people who can who can use it and use it to impressive degrees, not just for five items at the grocery store, that uh, they're they're not doing anything out of the ordinary. Like the the, the spatial way, in, the way that we use spatial memory in the memory palace is just how we think. It's how the brain works.
0: Well, and also these mental athletes that compete, right? Mm-hmm. They actually have very average memories. They've yeah. tested them.
1: Yeah, these are not. Yeah, super-powered brains here. These are yeah. normal brains. They're using, um, uh, just to, to to tie down what's happening in, in the brain, and there's a lot going on in the brain with memory, but uh, spatial memory is tied to the hippocampus, which is located in the temporal lobe. And it kind of looks like a long gummy worm kind of thing uh, in your brain. And it's also worth noting that at the head of this worm, you have the amygdala, which is tied to emotional memory. Uh, which, again, kind of looks like the head of the worm. And underneath that, you have the parahippocampal, which is tied into details, memory recoding and memory retrieval. Mm-hmm. But the hippocampus, that's spatial, and that's the area that really fires up uh, when these mental athletes start using the memory palace to uh, exceptional degrees.
0: That's right. In a study of eight top-ranking mental athletes, they were asked to memorize three-digit numbers, black and white photographs of people's faces, and magnified images of snowflakes. Researchers found that in comparison to the control group of non mental athletes, the mental athletes were using a lot more of their spatial memory in that hippocampus region that you talked about. Um, And again, it's because they're using that spatial reasoning to peg a blueprint of all the objects. Uh, that they're memorizing. Yeah. So, um, so we're talking about these mental athletes. Let's talk specifically about one of the more famous ones, I suppose by now, um, Joshua four.
1: Yeah. This is the guy who wrote, uh, moon, moonwalking with Einstein that I mentioned earlier. Um, yeah, he, he became interested in these individuals, um, uh, and, uh, and he's
0: just a journalist, right? Yeah, just he was a journalist. like, I want to find out more about this.
1: Yeah. I mean, he, he became interested in the U.S. Memory Championship, and he went there expecting to interview a bunch of savants and, uh, and just, you know, mental giants. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they kind of laughed at the, the notion when he, when he asked them the questions because they were like, no, I'm just, you know, a normal dude, and this is not that complicated. And so he kind of took it on as a challenge to like, well, let me see what I can do. Let me try out the, the memory palace. Let me, let me see what I can do with the, the method of Loki.
0: Yeah, and he spent a whole year. This was just pretty incredible uh with Memory Champ Ed Cook. Um uh, literally just so he could improve his mental acuity, right? Yeah. That that was his the first thing that he he wanted to try to do, but he became really obsessed with becoming a mental athlete himself and he went on to compete in and win the US memory championship. Yeah. And each morning during this year he would spend fifteen minutes memorizing a new poem or memorizing the names in an old yearbook, for instance. Uh, but that's not that's not where it stopped. I mean he again he was obsessed with this. So on the subway he would start to memorize random numbers or he would keep a deck of playing cards with him and memorize those. And he began to catalog everything in his existence and constructing like basically like condominiums of of mental palaces, yeah, so to speak. Um,
1: Cook, the uh, the guy that he uh, he interviewed, mm-hmm. um, he actually did a uh, uh, like a TED talk or a TEDx talk or something, mm-hmm. and uh, I'll have to embed that in the uh, the blog post that we do to accompany this uh, this particular episode, uh, because he goes into how he would he uses the the memory pal system. He's memorized things like Chinese characters. Yeah, uh, you know, basically learning bits of another language via the memory palace.
0: Yeah, and he has some really good visual representations yeah. in that video.
1: Really silly ones. Yeah,
0: super silly. Joshua four yeah, completely obsessed. He even bought a pair of goggles and spray-painted them black, and then he cut out eye holes in them. <laughs> and this is all in an effort so that he could better concentrate on his memory scales.
1: Yeah, so it looks like that part of it sounds like, you know, Jedi Master Training, where you're yeah. like wearing or some sort of, you know... Far Eastern-like thing, but then in his mind he's thinking about goofy things like uh, you know, like uh, Catherine Hepburn juggling frogs or something, I don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah, and there's a great New York Times article uh, called Secrets of a Mind Gamer, and in it, uh, Cook says to the the reporter there that photographic memory, because the reporter brings up, well, isn't this just photographic memory? Yeah, and no, not Uh, at all. Yeah, and he says, no, photographic memory is a despicable myth. It doesn't exist. In fact, my memory is quite average. All of us here have quite average memories. Okay, so this is coming from the guy who could recite most of Paradise Lost by Heart, as well as like 252 random digits he could commit to memory in like five minutes. Yeah. So, I mean, these really are incredible feats that these guys are doing.
1: Yeah, and Indeed.
0: And actually, um, you know, this is a competition that they have among themselves, but Cook says that it's also an attempt for them to rescue a long lost tradition of memory training. Because, again, we don't necessarily need it these days. Right. Mm-hmm. Except that we still have these crazy failing memories right? Yeah. Um, just for the most mundane things. Like I have mentioned to you that um, I think a lot for some reason about Quentin Tarantino movies, but inevitably I always forget his name. And yet, it's something that, you know, I reference a lot. Well, how are you remember? How
1: would you use the memory uh, palace to remember? Okay, the reason
0: why I can even say Quentin Tarantino now is because now I think about going to San Quentin and going to the commissary, and in the commissary, Mario Batali is fixing (laughs) ten thousand plates of Tarantino pasta.
1: We'll see that. Well, see, and that makes perfect sense within the, the architecture of your mind. But I would have to use Quentin Tarantino to remember that other stuff you were talking about. I mean Quentin Sam Quentin. Sam see. I know, but who is the guy?
0: Mario what? Batali? Who's that? Oh man, he's this great Italian chef. And okay. and you don't have to Oh is he
1: the redheaded dude?
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's okay. pretty outrageous in and of himself. You don't really have to do much to him. Like, you know, you don't want to gild the lily there. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah. Anyway, I mean this is this is stuff that you can do. Um but it's pretty amazing to look at this um uh, Joshua Four character and Ed Cook and see them in action. And um in that video that Ed Cook has um on the TEDx he says that you should use your memory in a playful and enjoyable way and you should experience it as a gift rather than a boring and annoying thing you'd rather park away in your iPhone
1: yeah because that's the thing they're enjoying these memory games and i have to say learning that little list was kind of was kind of fun so uh, the the five measly five things i had to remember at the grocery store but I don't know. Maybe I should play with it more and, and see how it goes. And I certainly encourage anyone listening to uh, to give the mem- memory palace a uh, a go. To uh, to try using it, even if it's just like you know, the next time you need to do a grocery list of just a few items, yeah. Don't write it down. Don't put it in your cell phone. Try constructing a memory palace out of it, and I think you'll be surprised at how well it works.
0: Yeah, and I would love to hear too if uh, if you have any other mnemonic devices that you use.
1: Yeah, yeah, because I I think we've all like I use like. Poems at one point, like uh, when I was in junior high. Uh, in fact, I believe I, yeah, I got uh, kicked out of AP history for uh, writing a raunchy poem to memorize something about the the original thirteen colonies.
0: Robert yeah. Lamb. Yeah, I love it. What a tawdry pass.
1: I know it was it was quite the scandal at the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But but yeah, if you have any other weird methods or, or you know that you employ to uh, to sort of tweak your brain into to uh, doing things it wouldn't normally do, like remembering uh, senseless data, let us know. Yeah, indeed. Uh, well, hey, I have some uh, listener mail here. Let me uh, get out the bag here and see what we have. Ah, oh, here we go. Here's a good one. Uh, this was from Katie, and Katie's re- responding to our uh, cyber immortality uh, podcast. Uh, that we did uh, about a month back. Uh, she says, Hey, guys, love the podcast. Sorry this response is a little delayed uh, to the podcast date. Um, and by all means, don't ever worry about that sending us mail. We'd love to hear about uh, you know anything you have to say about past or current. Time, time is relative. Yeah. Uh, she says, But I don't get them every week, and I have to listen to them in blocks, as you will. I, uh, I was listening to the podcast on cyber immortality and heard the comments of the 30-year-old, about the 30-year-old self meeting another 30-year-old self and the idea of living on by downloading your consciousness into a robot. I was uh, just wondering if either of you guys had heard of a television series called Dollhouse that aired a couple of years ago. It was on for two seasons and was a Joss Whedon creation. If not, you can Netflix it on instant streaming. In that series, a group of people voluntarily sign their bodies away for five years for neurological experiments. The Dollhouse is a place where they download your consciousness onto a hard disk and stick it in the self in the self shelf. They then use that person's body as an empty shell called dolls where they imprint or download personalities into these bodies and send them out on engagements, missions that range from prostitution to bank robbery to surrogate mommies, uh, etc. Then, as the series progresses, the powers that be in the corporation get greedy and decided to start giving away the bodies downloaded with a paying customer's consciousness to be, to be the now dead customer's new body. Uh, so it, you know, becomes a kind of immortality. And, uh, of course, all sorts of chaotic things ensued on the civilized life, security, and personal liberties. I thought you guys might want to check it out since it follows that awfulized chain of thought. Uh, as to what could happen, all of these things start out as noble little steps for the betterment of man, but become monstrous terrors in and of themselves. Thanks for the podcast. Hmm.
0: All right, I'm yep. gonna check it out.
1: Yeah. Well, I've actually seen all the episodes. Actually. You have. Uh, Gosh. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I should I should have mentioned in that uh, in that episode, I guess, uh, because even though I'm I was I think like a lot of people was less than satisfied uh, with the show uh, as it actually came mm-hmm. together, it, it was. They they tried to do some interesting things. They they really did tackle a lot of these ideas that arise from cyber immortality. Right. You know, what if you could what if you could store uh, human human's mind, uh, human's identity on a on a disk? What if you could switch them around? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, could we live forever? What would happen to personal freedoms? So it does explore a lot of those ideas and uh, and it does get your brain uh, going. Uh, but but I, I wasn't completely pleased with it. Huh. But, uh, but yeah, check you it heard out that though reading? if you're into it. Yeah, the Whedon's great. I love Firefly. Mm-hmm.
0: You just had high standards, that's all. Yeah. What you can do?
1: Well, hey, if you guys have anything to share with us, if there's there are any uh, bits of science fiction or pop culture that tie into something we've talked about that we uh, haven't mentioned or are not aware of, let us know because we'd love to hear about them. And uh, you can find us on both Facebook and Twitter as Blow the Mind, and those are great ways to interact with us.
0: And you can also email us at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House of Work staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow.